Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that plays with cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including Nissan's radio controlled car is more than just play. Electric cars, flexibility coming thick and fast, Jaguar Land Rover has a reusing batteries program and who was the first to mention an arch bridge across Sydney Harbour. In our feature story, we ask the question, can a pink car be good for anything other than advertising? And does it really matter? We speak to advertising expert and motoring writer Paul Morell, some of the Overdrive team and feedback from social media. And in an information piece, innovated leases, there are tax advantages that don't require you to keep logbook. So which cars are doing well in attracting novated leases in the market? You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au with links to social media and podcasts. But let's get this program going. First, the news. Nissan may appear to be targeting the youth market with their radio-controlled toy car, but they are making a point to a much wider audience. The toy has four electric motors, one for each wheel, and is operated externally with an arcade-like setup, complete with acceleration pedal, steering wheel and tilting racing seat. It navigates a specially developed figure-eight course, with different surfaces to show how the technology maintains the driving line and steerability. Nissan has produced some videos with a lot of trendy people smiling at each other, images flashing across the screen at a frantic rate, and loud music. Nonetheless, the technical development is very important, especially, we believe, if it can be used in public transport vehicles such as buses. Part of the advantage is to be able to slow to a stop or take corners while keeping the vehicle level, rather than pitching and rolling. Nissan is showcasing its latest electric platform, and like other manufacturers, they emphasise its flexibility. The platform will serve as the basis for 15 electric models by 2030. Nissan says that the architecture gives the opportunity to explore the concept of MA, a Nissan design philosophy focused on mastering the potential of empty space. It is, they say, transforming cockpits into lounge-like spaces while accommodating multiple powertrain options. This has been a very positive feature in other vehicles such as the Hyundai Ioniq 5 and Kia's EV6. Another aspect of electric vehicles is the speed with which they're being developed. General Motors' electric Hummer took only two years to develop when the traditional time for a vehicle has been four years or more. While the need for an electric Hummer for public roads is questionable, the fact that innovations can be developed quickly is a message that policymakers need to embrace. A global leader in the energy sector to develop a portable zero-emission energy storage unit powered by Second Life Jaguar I-PACE batteries. Called the Off-Grid Battery Energy Storage System, Pramax Technology, which features lithium-ion cells from Jaguar I-PACE batteries taken from prototype and engineering test vehicles in order to supply zero-emission power where access to the main supply is limited or unavailable. They can be safely developed in multiple low-energy situations once battery health falls below the strident requirements of an electric vehicle. 
second life battery supply for stationary applications like renewable energy storage could exceed 200 gigawatt hours per year by 2030, creating a global value estimated to be over 30 billion US dollars. The unit helped Jaguar Racing prepare for the Formula E World Championship during testing in the UK and Spain, where it was used to run the team's diagnostic equipment, analysing the race car's track performance and to supply auxiliary power to the Jaguar pit garage. Amidst all the celebrations of the 90th anniversary of the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it is interesting to ponder when a grand arch over the harbour was first envisaged. Mention of an art across the harbour appeared in a poem by Erasmus Darwin in 1789, barely one year after the first European settlement. Erasmus was the grandfather of Charles Darwin and had a close association with the Wedgwood family, famous for pottery. In fact, Charles Darwin would later marry a Wedgwood. Erasmus was a poet, physician and natural philosopher, and some suggest a bit of a rascal. To commemorate the European settlement, some Sydney clay was sent back to England for the Wedgwood organisation to make some medallions. Without having been to Sydney, Erasmus wrote a poem, Visit of Hope to Sydney Cove near Botany Bay. Some of the lines from the poem are, Shall bright canals and solid roads expand? There the proud arch, colossus-like, bestride, yon glittering streams and bound the chasing tide. Sydney Harbour is more than a glittering stream, and the Harbour Bridge is probably more than he envisaged, but he caught the spirit of the city and the impact of the bridge. And that has been the news. Can a pink car be good for anything other than advertising? There is a clear case of look at my car, but do people look with respect or disappointment? And really, does that matter? When I put a few pictures on Facebook, one of the first responses was to mention Mary Kay, a cosmetic company founded by Mary Kay Ash in 1963. According to the website Mental Floss, Mary Kay Ash went to a Ford Lincoln dealership in the late 1960s and asked them to create a custom car to help her promote her burgeoning business. Apparently, the salesperson said something like, Little lady, go home and get your husband, and when you come back, we'll get you into that Lincoln. Not surprisingly, then, she went to a Cadillac dealer, whipped out a compact and asked them to try and match the colour of blush inside called Mountain Laurel Tone, a pale pink. They happily arranged for her choice. Mary bought the car and in 1969 gave two-year leases on similar vehicles to her five top salesperson. Wikipedia says that Cadillac painted over 100,000 customer cars for Mary Kay. After the lease expires, the cars are repainted before being resold. And in 2020, the business, Mary Kay, had revenue of $3 billion US dollars. How does our good friend Paul Morell from SeniorDriverOz.com react to this story? As he spent a long time in the marketing and advertising industry, although now he is with his true love writing about motoring. I think it's a wonderful idea <laughs> if you can live with the attention. I mean, the point is with cars like pink Cadillacs is you can't pass down the road unnoticed, can you? There are people who just love that. Yes, there are. There are people who just adore being looked down at as they drive down the street. But yes, pink Cadillacs are less than subtle. 
In fact, I think she then began to do it to other people. If they met certain targets, they were given a pink Cadillac. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's an incentive or not, but... <laughs> It would be, but of course, being a pink Cadillac, if you didn't like it in pink, it would cost you a great deal of money to have it resprayed. Do you think wrapping now suddenly makes these sorts of things far more viable? One of my cars, I seriously thought about having it wrapped, and I haven't taken that step. There are a couple of issues with wrapping. I'm not quite sure how good the finish is, which is why I sort of hesitated. If you're wrapping a car from new, I think it's a very good idea because it protects the thing. And when you finally peel that wrap off, however far down the path, whether it's two years or three years or whatever, you have a pristine car underneath, which is magical. But one of the things you need to be aware of when you're wrapping a car, for example, if someone gives you a pink Cadillac and you decide to have it wrapped in, let's say, white or a different color, they don't usually wrap in the door shuts and they don't wrap under the bonnet. So when you open the door, the original color is still visible which is a dead set giveaway. I looked at a Porsche once that was for sale and it was, it was a beautiful metallic green, really lovely car. And I opened the door and the inside the door was white paint. So there are drawbacks that you may not be aware of early on. I put a post up with a BMW for advertising that had wrapped it like it was remarkably dirty. Someone then sent in one with a Volkswagen van, fairly new one, with rust <laughs> down the side. Not real rust, but it was part of the wrap. I love the way people think. It's an expensive thing to do, though. I mean, when I, you know, I was getting quotes for four or five thousand dollars to have the car, my car wrapped. So it's not the sort of thing you do just for a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek practical joke of turning your car into a rust bucket or or painting and camouflage or something. You'd want to be sure that you got a couple of years' use out of that. I would think. We've moved a little bit in that, wasn't it? There was a time when Ferraris, if it wasn't red, you knocked twenty thousand dollars off the price, whatever mm. that meant at the time. Do you think now people are more likely or more acceptable of a, a yellow Ferrari or other things? Back in the 80s, of course, you know, the only colour they have in a Ferrari, as you say, was red, but Porsches were all in that guards red as well. Uh, and then suddenly in the late 90s, there was a, a reaction against guards red Porsches. And there was, to some extent, a reaction against red Ferraris because it was almost such a cliche. Like all things, colours of cars goes in cycles. Have we moved away from bright colours? No. I mean, if you look at the numbers, you'll find that the vast majority of people are still buying white cars, silver cars and black cars. It's a little bit different when you get into expensive sports cars and supercars, obviously. But people are more concerned, I think, about the resale value. You might choose a colour. I mean, like, let's go back to your, your hypothetical pink Cadillac. People might think that's fantastic and go, oh, I love being in a pink Cadillac. But when the time comes to sell it, you've automatically limited the market for your used car. Yes. So people are probably more aware of that. I mean, the vast majority, as I said, are white, silver, black. I mean, we see things like yellow Ferraris and we see things like uh, Maseratis in, in bright gold colours or we'll see, uh, you know, there are all sorts of really interesting colour choices. And I guess if you're in that sort of rarefied atmosphere, then you choose whatever colour you like and the hell with the consequences. Does it link to whether the car can become a good historic car? I think of the pink XU1 Tirana. They are a classic car, which has its value because it's a classic. Then if it's one with a very rare paint job, that may make it, if not more, but at least a desirable classic because it's so, well, not so unique. That sounds a contradiction in terms <laughs> I, I abuse the English language. It is, I nearly said, more unique. That would be worse. <laughs> it is rarer. There we are. I've got a word. Yeah, there we are. Rarer. <laughs> 
when you talk about the strike me pink Tirana LJ GTRX U1 or a Lona Ranger, which was orange, obviously, or plum crazy. I mean, those colors in many ways enhance the value of the car because they're so evocative of the year those cars were sold in. Right? So, you know, if you've got, if you had a, a blue Tirana or you had a, if you had a white Charger, obviously the, the value of that car would be enhanced because those quite quirky colors from the times when they were new obviously makes the cars more evocative of the era. I put a post on Facebook about it, and I was surprised the number of people who were supportive. Horses for courses, do what you want. I don't want to get into it. Do you know pre-1900, the colour for boys was pink, Mm. a derivative of red, Mm. and girls was blue, perhaps a softer, gentler colour. I'm not making any statement in terms of gender or, or priority or whatever. It is, though, one that perhaps evokes a reaction that is is not as strident as some of this candy apple green car that, say, the Tirana had. Mm. I think people are pretty much forgiving of those colours. As I said, it, it may be different when the time comes to actually write the cheque or pay the bill to buy a new car. You might sort of, it might kick in. I mean, I bought a, I bought a Monaro, the, the Series 2 V2 Monaro, and I went with the blue. I mean, I really like yellow. I wanted a yellow car, but unfortunately it had an all-black interior, so... It's sort of, that was the changing point for me. I'm a great fan of yellow cars and always have been because they're so visible. Um, I've had a number of yellow cars. My Jensen was yellow. My, uh, my RX-7 was yellow. I just think that the brighter you are on the road, the less chance you have of someone not seeing you in the, out of the corner of their eye. Uh, that's another side benefit. But also when we go back to pink, there are, there are variations or variants of pink. That car that you put up on your, on your post, for example, was quite a strong pink. It wasn't a feminine pink. That was the Mustang. And some of the early Cadillacs, the pink was quite strong. It wasn't a feminine colour. Uh, and, I, you know, again, be careful when we use those terms, but it wasn't a girly colour. Oh, God, I'll get into more trouble. <laughs> but, yeah, there are strong colours, and that pink was a strong colour. Are there many sort of prestige cars that sell white other than for wedding cars? I, uh, I wonder. I mean, Rolls-Royce used to be looked down on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever buy a white Rolls-Royce because, as you say, everyone thought it was a wedding car or a hire car. But no, cars are still being sold fairly substantially in white. Uh, there, there are strong sales in white. I noticed that there are some almost retro colours now available in a lot of cars. They're sort of pale pastel colours that were big in the 60s and 70s. They were big in the 60s and 70s because the technology wasn't there to make them metallic and as good as they are today. But there are a number of cars being sold in those pastel colours. The Hyundai i series, for example, talking of hero colours, is in that pastel blue, which was very much the same colour as my parents' first Falcon in 1962. I don't think Hyundai want to hear that. <laughs> I don't think they care. I think they're selling so many of them. And that goes back to what I was saying before. Uh, if, you, if you're driving a Hyundai i30 or i20, it's almost the default colour, that, that hero blue, because you want people to know it's not just an ordinary i20 or an ordinary i30. And the fact that it's in that blue tells people instantly that it's a performance model. Again, it's the psychology of the whole thing. We better call it quits <laughs> then, I think, uh, before we cover the world. <laughs> And that was Paul Morell from SeniorDriverOz.com. The full interview will be on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. This is Overdrive across Australia. 
we have had a flood of comments from our colleagues and social media on the issue of pink cars. Our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, said, quote, Regarding pink cars, my GTR Tirana, for those who are perhaps a little young or from overseas, that is an Australian small-medium car around the 70s that had hot versions made for racing. Dean continued, The colour was orchid, a metallic pink, although I'd prefer to call it light red, he said. I so desperately wanted a Tirana, so rather than wait a few weeks for another colour, I took the orchid one, which was already in the showroom. In hindsight, there was probably a reason why it was a slow seller. At least it wasn't the ghastly GMH strike me pink colour, he concluded. And our resident mechanical engineer, Fred Brain, said, The Tirana XU1 in musk stick pink, I like that expression, made the colour acceptable on cars, in my opinion, Fred said, although black paint-out sections helped in that case. The colour then seemed to disappear until Hyundai came out with a pinky colour on its XL, maybe in the 90s. Fred questions, didn't Jeffrey Eggleston's wife have a pink Ferrari, or was it Pixie Skase? Well, in fact, it was Jeffrey Eggleston's first wife, Leanne, who also was transported around in a pink helicopter. Fred's final comment was, does anyone remember the Think Pink concrete truck that used to be in Sydney in the 80s or 90s? There's a point, isn't it? Macho cement trucks painted in pink in this case as a breast cancer awareness campaign, then it really does stand out. On our recorded message site, we got a quote. Hi there, David. It's uh, Fastlane Dad here. The pink car question, does it diminish or damage a vehicle's brand or image? Well, there may have been a day or a time way back when where it might have damaged a manufacturer's reputation. But I think in this day and age, it's something that isn't really a factor anymore because you know, a lot of the manufacturers now offer a pink as a base colour. And also you can get a, a vinyl wrap quite cost-effectively nowadays. And obviously that also protects the car, so you get sort of a, a double bang for your buck. Consumers are also much more happy to personalise their vehicle nowadays as well, which is where a vinyl wrap comes in. And anyway, keep up the good work and uh, love the show. Cheers. You're listening to Overdrive. In a world that seems to want to stay permanently connected to others, Toyota has improved the connectivity number of models. It has expanded the availability and functionality of its advanced Toyota connected services, which delivers greater peace of mind and enhanced convenience to more customers, Toyota tells us. The new TCS convenience features are now available on the all-new Land Cruiser 300 series, Hilux, Fortuna, Yaris Cross, Camry, Granvia and Hiace. All the new features and functionality have been developed and extensively tested for each specific model. Toyota Connected Services offers safety features including automatic collision notification, SOS emergency call and stolen vehicle tracking. The updated system that is now available across a broader range of vehicles adds to the safety features. Customers will be able to remotely access a variety of information from their smartphones such as fuel level, recent trip data and vehicle location depending upon the model via the My Toyota Connect app. Buyers of eligible vehicles will be treated to three years of complimentary TCS functionality from the date of delivery, after which an extension will be optional. This is the Motory Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Novated leasing of vehicles is a subject that's tossed around a bit, but to understand a little about what that is, uh, on the line we have the founder and major contributor to Fleet Auto News, Mark Sibold. G'day, Mark. 
Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. A lease is like a rental agreement. What's a novated lease? So a novated lease is the way that employees working for companies can get a benefit, can buy a new car and get some financial benefits. So instead of using cash or maybe dipping into your mortgage redraw, you can finance it uh, through one of the nominated providers and then get some tax benefits along the way, like a, like a business would. The company pays for the lease and then takes it out of your salary, so your tax is less. Yeah, that's right, and it's uh, it's an employee benefit. It, you know, it's often advertised as a pay rise or a um, you know a reason to to work. And certainly, certain industries like health and education, the pay or the salary might not be as high, but you know, there's significant benefits. If the company bought the car, it would have to justify its use for company activities to get a tax deduction. Mm. Do you have to justify or keep any sort of list of why you're using the car if you have a novated lease? No, you don't. That's a great thing. Um, novated leasing's been around for 35 years, and in the early days, there was a lot of confusion about the kilometres, how many kilometres a year you had to drive, and what record keeping you had to have to justify personal versus business use. Almost a decade ago, when the, the, the Gillard government was in power, they made some changes that simplifies the whole process. I wonder what the intent of it is from a tax point of view, just to encourage people to get cars. I'm not sure I understand the government's thinking on this regard. It is one of those things that seems too good to be true. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, uh, but, the, but the benefits are real, the savings are real, and, and it has been through the ringer. As I said about a decade ago, when Rudd and Gillard were in power, they made some changes and the industry lobbied and the government acknowledged the significant benefits that it was providing to you know, probably first line, front line workers like doctors, nurses, um, education professionals, you know, the way, way their, their salary packages are set up. Also, if you just simplify it, then you get rid of a lot of the red tape. Yeah, you do. And and people can be driving newer cars, more environmentally friendly cars, safer cars. It really does sort of encourage uh, people who may not have been able to afford a new car normally to get rid of that 10 or 15 year old and, and, and get themselves into a new, more economical, safer, safer car. It's only on new cars. Uh, no, it can be on, be on used cars as well. Every provider has different requirements, but you know, generally anything older than five years doesn't qualify. But in the current market, with, with the, you know, the, the stress and delays in new cars, if you can find yourself a good late model second-hand one, that's certainly um, eligible for an available lease, depending on the provider. Given the supply difficulties, the second-hand one might cost you more, but that's, we'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> yeah. You've ranked the cars that do the best. Yeah. Is that the nature of your survey at this stage? When you look at the new car sales, you know, it encompasses every car sold. There's a lot of models in there or some vehicles that they're varying factors, as you'd know, like manufacturer incentives, sort of rental purchases, bulk purchases, uh, commercial YouTube for that aren't practical for families that can drive some of those sales results. So what our survey does is actually look at what people are buying for their families or what they're buying for their personal endeavours, whether it's getting away for the weekend or fitting three baby seats um, or just, you know, a young couple sort of wanting to drive around in style. 
we try and pull out, you know, what are the pure consumer cars or the pure cars that people want would pay with their own money. That's a reflection then that if you have the opportunity, what might you be able to upgrade to if you can get the opportunity in terms of reducing your tax? So what are the top novated leased vehicles? I suppose there's no surprise that the uh, dual, the utes and the four-wheel drive and the SUVs dominate the list. So so we found that number one um, in our survey that we conducted this year was the Ford Ranger. It seems to be a, a well-priced, well-suited car um, that does a lot of things for a lot of people, you know, but it covers a lot of different requirements. Um, and, it, you know, it's been number one um, it's, you know, for a long time in the sales, sales data as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a great car. And it goes through them. I just list a few. The Toyota RAV4, Mazda CX-5, there's two SUVs. Toyota Hilux, Toyota Land Cruiser Prado, Mitsubishi Triton. Gee, I tell you what, it really is dominated by those SUVs and utes, isn't it? There's a couple of passenger cars in there that are hanging on. The Hyundai i30 in at number 7 and the Mazda 3 at number 10. It was only a few years ago that, you know, we've been doing this survey for uh, a number of years now, and it was only a few years ago that the Mazda 3 was number one. So the tastes have certainly changed in the last four or five years. And the RAV4, the new model, I think, you know, it's certainly a standout car, and that's seen it climb up the rankings as well to be number two this year. Are some manufacturers really good at this versus others? Probably a couple of different you know, things. So some of the mainstream manufacturers understand it. Um, definitely the Challenger brands, so depending on what cycle. So back in the day when Holden and Ford dominated, the brands like Kia and Hyundai that were challenging or trying to get into the market, they were very, very aggressive with fleet and elevated lease buyers. And, and, and it's really about a maturity of the manufacturer and where they're at and their developmental product cycle about where they go and the good ones understand it long term <laughs> the luxury brands they, they kind of they understand it through they have corporate programs that are also um, you know, additional benefits so if you're buying a European luxury car and you have a no-bad lease you can often get some corporate benefits as well the luxury ones are doing it, although they wouldn't turn, turn over big numbers. I think you said the top five manufacturers make up nearly 50% of the orders, Toyota at 15.9%, and Mazda, Ford, Mitsubishi, Hyundai, yet a novated lease. You don't see luxury sedans in the top list, but that's purely numbers mm. because they don't sell that many anyway. So the commentary from the the, the um, participants in the survey is, you know, te- you know brands like Tesla, who have, have you know sort of barnstormed into the market recently with a Model Three and the and, and the EV excitement, um, they're certainly expected to be in the list, you know, next time we do the survey next year. It's a range of EVs aren't there yet. So you you expect them to increase? Definitely. The um, a, uh, there was a lot of commentary in the survey about the you know the desire for the car they people desired versus the car that they can get delivered. Um, so, you know, a lot of people were inquiring about EVs, but just the, the supply. You did give a list of vehicles that deserve special mention. I have a bit of a soft spot for the Subaru Outback. That's moved up the list. That has been in the top 10 list in previous years. I think maybe the model change over last year. They had a great year and sold a lot of them, but there was probably that, that couple of months where it maybe uh, knocked it off, uh, knocked it out of the top 10 where they didn't have supply. All right, uh, Mark, that's been wonderfully informative and I can uh, read the details on your website. What's the URL for that? Yeah, so it's uh, fleetautonews.com.au. 
you can also um, you know read lots of stories about Nevada leasing and company cars and fleets, and uh, we've got some video reviews on our YouTube site as well, which you can just search Fleet Auto News. Lovely stuff. All right, mate, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. Really appreciate the time. And that was Mark Sibold, who runs a very informative website on the fleet industry at fleetautonews.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. Renault has expanded their mid-size SUV Colios range with a black edition. Sits between the Zen and the Intens. The Colios Black Edition has a healthy equipment list, which is already standard, and it gains 19-inch dark grey alloys, gloss black roof rails, door mirrors, sidesteps, limited banging, French flags on the B-pillar, a hands-free powered tailgate, and a choice of metallic paint colours, including black, naturally, grey or universal white. Interior features include black leatherette upholstery with yellow stitching, matte carbon-look interior trim, 8.7-inch central touchscreen in portrait format, and limited badging on the chrome door sills. The Colios Black Edition is strictly limited to 400 units and is currently available at a driveway price of just $42,000. Other changes to the Model 22 Colios range see the new Easy Life package become available for the Zen variant. This pack includes a hands-free power tailgate, an 8.7-inch touchscreen in portrait format and is available for just $2,000. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morell, Mark Sibold, the Overdrive team, and Paul Just for their great help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au and links to socials and the podcast. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>